this is Mike Dilt with the Relax Back UK show on UK Health Radio, your global real feel-good radio station. On the Relax Back UK show we explore all kinds of health topics, so keep listening and enjoy the ride. Thank you for joining me, Mike Dilt, with the Relax Back UK show. This week, the show is made possible by the kind sponsorship of Alga Cells. Alga Cells uses the body's own stem cells ability to regenerate tissue to treat joint and spine injuries and pain. Check out their website, algacells.com. Now, have you ever wondered what work a cancer researcher actually does? Well, you're not alone if you have. I was lucky enough to talk to scientists from a couple of different labs at UCL in London and find out what they're researching, how they do it, and how that fits into the ultimate goal of finding out more about the way cancer works and to derive potential, potential treatments. Yeah, my lab was working on what is called cell signaling. So if a cell, a normal cell or a cancer cell, receives information from the outside world, you know, what does it do with it? And we're sort of trying to understand what's happening inside. Bart van Hazenbroek's lab looks at how cells communicate, and Chris Tate's lab looks at the environment tumours are in. So what my lab's really interested in is understanding how cancer cells talk to and communicate with the environment that they're living in. Because we know it can affect um, therapy responses, we know it can affect clinical progression, um, and we also we think it's an opportunity for novel therapeutic treatments. You know, rather than targeting just the cancer cells themselves, maybe think about the environment that they're in, if they're supported by it or or um, even hindered by it in some cases. I ask how the researchers think, how they come up with their lines of research, and also importantly, there are patients as well who ask their questions and give their point of view. This really is a fascinating group of people to talk with, so please do stay tuned for a great show. Thank you. This show is cool. UK Health Radio, the station that makes you feel good. Nagging pain. We at AlgaCells know that a small amount of the patient's own bone marrow and blood cells can treat many painful conditions with regenerative orthopaedic therapy. This is an attractive treatment option for painful joints, back pain, sports injuries and many other conditions. It may avoid the need for surgery altogether. AlgaCells, part of a network of 50 Regenex clinics worldwide where over 60,000 patients have been treated and helped. AlgaCells, life is more beautiful with less pain. A cancer diagnosis can be scary and stressful for everyone involved. Hello Love is a contemporary living space and well-being center in central London where anyone can come and learn about illness prevention and non-toxic practice. Inside, you will find a vegan restaurant, juice bar, and holistic dojo that encourage lifestyle changes to help heal mind, body, and spirit connection. Cancer patients are offered free sessions. To find out more, please visit us at hellolove.org. The station that makes you feel good. There were six people in the chat. Two lab heads, two PhD students and two patients. So to start off with, I just got them to introduce themselves. Yeah, I'm going to go round in order that people are on my Zoom screen. So in, in no particular order. So first of all, 
top left of my screen, we've, we've got Dave. Hi, I'm Dave Tudor, um, a sophomore cancer patient, survivor, um, working very hard in getting, my, getting the voice of the, of the patient in research as best I can. And Fantastic. Thank you. Right. Let's move on. Jackie is next. Yes, it is. My name's Jackie, as you can see, and uh, I was cancer patient, breast cancer patient in 2003 and aimed to join the PPI movement and change the world. OK, uh, <laughs> next up, Sarah. Uh, hi, um, I am Sarah. I am a PhD student at Bart's lab, currently doing my second year of PhD. OK, then we've got Chris. Hi, I'm Chris Tape. Um, I lead the Cell Communication Lab at UCL Cancer Institute, um, mainly funded by Cancer Research UK, and we're looking at how different cell types interact in cancer. Fantastic. Next up, Bart. Hi, I'm Bart van Hazebroek. I'm a professor at the Cancer Institute, same place as Chris. I'm a scientist interested in fundamental principles of, of uh, biology and looking to apply that to cancer research and treatment. Fantastic. The last thing uh, is, uh, last is Callum. Hi, so my name's Callum. I've taken some time out of training to be an NHS doctor to do a PhD in Chris's lab. Good. Right. Well, look, thank you very much to you all for taking uh, some time out of your busy day to chat. I think seeing as we've got sort of two labs here that are, um, well, I would imagine trying to answer some big questions. I want to start by bringing in the, the lab heads and seeing if they can just sort of summarise the big questions that they're trying to answer and then just put a little bit of meat on that as to you know why that's uh, a useful thing to to try and do so let's uh, let, let's start with uh, chris can i pick on you please uh, uh, yeah of course okay big big questions okay so i mean i suppose we can start with some big numbers um so you know the human body on average contains about 50 to 100 trillion cells so it's an incredibly complicated system just you know we take it for granted we walk around every day this incredibly complex, incredible complexity with us. Um, you know, if Brian Cox is standing on a mountain somewhere looking up at the galaxies, you know, he, he said there's about two trillion galaxies in the universe. So there's about 25 to 50 times more cells in your own body than there are in the, all the galaxies of the universe. You know, this is the kind of complexity that we're dealing with, just as a basic healthy organism. And of course, cancer, you know, which is what we're here to talk about today, happens in the context of that that complexity. So every single tumor that forms, whether it be in the blood or you know in, in a solid uh, tissue organ somewhere, has to uh, form in the context of all this complexity that's happening around it. So what my lab's really interested in is understanding how cancer cells talk to and communicate with the environment that they're living in, uh, because we know it can affect um, therapy responses. We know it can affect clinical progression, um, and we also we think it's an opportunity for novel therapeutic treatments. You know, rather than targeting just the cancer cells themselves, maybe think about the environment that they're in if they're supported by it or or um, even hindered by it in some cases. So okay. um, my lab develops new technologies to try and uh, understand these problems. All right, I'm, I'm sure there's an awful lot there that we can pick your brains about a little bit later. So next up, Bart, you're, you're, uh, you have a, another lab working on another um, big question. Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, my lab is working on what is called cell signaling. So if a cell, a normal cell or a cancer cell, receives information from the outside world, you know, what does it do with it? And we're sort of trying to understand what's happening inside. It's a bit of a network. You can compare it to a railway network or a metro network. 
And we were discussing yesterday, and I also tested this on my wife said, to explain this to a non-scientist. You know, if you think about London and Edinburgh, you know, I'm sort of looking at London as a cancer cell. I'm trying to understand the railways in there, how it all connects with each other. And, you know, Edinburgh has a similar type of uh, simpler um, network. And so we try to understand that and understand really which stations are the most important ones, which ones we can stop from working. And maybe then the cancer cell is actually not working anymore either. I think what Chris is like looking to do, if you compare London and Edinburgh, suppose London moves into Edinburgh place. That's horrible. You know, that's, that's not happening. So, you know, I think this signaling can actually make things move, make things cells, make cells move around, respond to their environment and do, you know, move from one place to another. And we're also interested in that. So my work and that of Chris is actually very integrated. It's not separated. Okay. All right. So let me ask a question, but based on what, what Chris said, how many cells? 25 trillion cells in our body? Yeah, 50 to 100. I mean, it's hard to count, yeah? Well, based on that, it's amazing that anything works at all. I mean, you know, we're so complicated. Exactly. Yeah. It's kind of surprising mm -hmm. that so many of us are so healthy. But we, we, within <laughs> those trillions of cells, mm -hmm. um, it's hard to imagine any sort of communication at all making sense. So do, do our cells really communicate? Do they really talk to each other and, and kind of how and why, why is that important? Sure, sure. So, I mean, I think like to sort of, you know, to break it into a metaphor, I suppose, it's very similar to what economists talk about in terms of the way societies are organised in terms of exchange and specialisation. So we can say, okay, we've got these trillions and trillions of cells, mind-boggling numbers, but they're not all the same. You know, so in our body, um, we all have the same, you know, pretty much the same genome in every single cell in our body. But they, what happens during development, you know, as the body, you know, as it grows, you know, in utero, and then, you know, as, as you go through development as a, as a human, you get specialization of different cell types. So you might have a, a single genome, but then, you'll, you know, the, the, the cells that are in your eye, for example, that can detect lie are very different to the cells that are in your big toe that, you know, you feel when you, when you, when you stub your toe. But they've got the same genome in them. But what they've done is they've changed and differentiated. So in the same way, in a, in a society, you know, you've got people who've got different jobs. You know, they, I'm just going to hold you up. When you sense. say they've got the, yeah. sorry, I'm interrupting. When you say they've got the same genome, you mean they, they've got the same set of instructions to make me or to make exactly, anyone. yeah. All the D, pretty much all the DNA at a sort of fundamental level is the same in every cell in your body, especially when you're younger. I mean, it might diverge a bit as you get older, but generally speaking, it's a stable system. So what happens is, is the genes that get expressed and, and turned on and used in each cell type is different. And what that creates is specialization of different cells. So every cell in your body, you know, has slightly different roles. So you have immune cells that might, you know, look for infections, or you might have um, epithelial cells in your gut or in your lungs that can can transfer things from the outside into the inside when you take up food. Obviously, nerve cells transmit signals. They all got the same DNA in those cells, but the that they've differentiated. So, in order for all that to work, um, you need to exchange information between the different cell types because you know, we're not just a blob of the, of the same cells, mm -hmm. kind of just doing the same thing over and over again. So that that can work over multiple different ways. Cells can touch each other, and that can cause signals to transmit between. Um, in the same way, you know, you might be able to sort of poke someone to get their attention. Cells can kind of do an equivalent of that in a, in a very specific way. They can also send out signals. So they um, create proteins, which can then, they're signaling proteins, which can then transfer between cells and tell one cell type to do something that the other cell wants it to do. And of course, there are things like hormones, which you know, you'd be familiar with. They might come from, you know, the pituitary gland, you know, 
above of your body that could do something in the bottom half of your body can go oh. through the blood. So there's lots so, of... So what, lots what, why, is, why is this important in, in cancer? The, 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 well, the in, chatting... In, Talking. Exactly. Yeah. So, so, so they, we've been talking you know, about, about sort of healthy biology and in cancer, what happens is a lot of the mutations that then come along, which change the genome of the cells that, the, that then cause cancer, they often change the communication profiles as well. So, for example, I, my lab works on the gut. We work on colorectal cancer, bowel cancer, um, and it, mutations that happen um, inside those um, those early cancer cells. They start changing the way the the environment, the cells, the healthy cells that are around the cancer start to behave, um, and that can then cause the cancer cells to grow even faster because they can sort of co-opt and bully their uh, their environment um, and sort of get them to play along with the with the okay. journey of the cancer, even though that they're otherwise very healthy and well behaved. All right. Now, I, I, I'm just going to stop you there. So essentially, you, you're saying if some of the signaling doesn't quite work, uh, something can potentially go wrong. Right. Shortly, I'm, I'm going to get the next lab, lab, lab head to kind of add what he's doing. But uh, I, one, one of the, our, our patients on board, Dave, was just saying he wants to add something to that. Yeah, it's with so many cells in the body. And is it just a, a tiny little mutation in a cell that causes a cancer? which then affects all the other cells around it? Or is it just, is it a group of cells which just stop working properly? Yeah, I mean, I think as with everything in science, it's always a bit more complicated, um, but because we actually find <laughs> that there are mutations that are around the body that don't cause cancer. And this is kind of yeah. quite an active area of research as well at the moment. But what we do know is when you get combinations of the same mutations, often in the same cell type in a way that it's been able to survive, it will then grow and then coerce the, the environment. And also one thing we haven't talked about is the immune system. You know, cell, these cells that get these mutations have to somehow avoid the immune system. If they're, they're being naughty and growing and, you know, and, and sort of doing something that, that maybe isn't helpful for the body. Often the immune system was the first thing to step in and say, no, we don't want that. So they have yeah. to shut, they have to hide from the immune system essentially as well. So there's lots of things that have to go right. You know, you think about all these different, in order for a cancer to form, there's so many cells in the body. In theory, we'd be riddled with cancer all the time, but we're not yeah. actually, it's a very rare process cancer. Um, but it's just happening on the, on the background of so many possible opportunities because there's so many cells. Yeah, Chris, I think we will, come on to the immune system a bit later because yeah. you've got a student sure. uh, with you who, who kind of specializes in that I think um now next can we please get on to the, the the next lab head Bart and uh if uh if please if you could explain the sort of bigger part of the uh, or the big question the part of the jigsaw that uh, your lab is working on yeah, so Chris was um, quite eloquently explaining that you know you have all sorts of mutations and you create a kind of a a network so the key is really to find out what are the critical nodes you know what is really important there because we can't interfere with everything so what my lab has been doing over the last well 20 years is trying to identify some of these critical nodes and then try to make drugs that block these critical nodes so to just interfere with this complex network in what we think is a smart way and you know i have had the pleasure to discover something that um, we have taken from a gene to the research, drug development, and is now an approved drug. So some of our science has translated to, uh, to clinic. And, you know, we're trying to identify more. So, you know, we sort of, uh, and I try to, you know, train people like Sarah to help me to identify these critical nodes in this uh, network further. 
Okay, and so they are signaling nodes. So, you know, I focus really specifically on signaling. There are different layers, but signaling is our expertise. So signaling is, is a type of uh, communication. Yes. And yes. you look to dis disrupt that, that signaling when it's sort of uh, not good to have. Yes, correct. Okay, right. Now, because there's six of us, um, I'm, I'm going to bring in a couple more people. You're, you guys are both lab heads, so you're doing all this work, but you're not doing this work on your own. You've, you know, you've got a bunch of people helping you. And in fact, we've got a couple of PhD students uh, with us now. So may, maybe I could uh, please ask uh, the PhD students to explain their projects that they're doing uh, within both labs. So maybe I, I can start with uh, Sarah, please. Mm -hmm. Um, yes, Mike. So as Bart just mentioned, um, uh, Bart's lab focuses more on the signaling um, and what goes wrong with the signaling um, for this cell to go bad and turn into a cancer cell. But for instance, my project specifically focuses on, well, it has like two parts. So one part is understanding the normal biology or normal signaling and how under normal circumstances the cell should, should be working, because that's one thing. So you need in order to know what's going wrong on how to stop it from going wrong is understanding the normal way of working first, no? So uh, that's one part of my project, understanding the normal biology. And the second part is I'm trying to um, make a model in order to test the, the drugs that we have, that we're working on currently and know how this, work, how this drug is working, if it's working, um, how to uh, refine uh, and understand uh, if it's actually affecting the points that we, expect that it's affecting in this in the system or in the pathway of the signaling or not okay so is, is the idea to test if a drug is working like you can know immediately you don't have to wait until the tumor starts to get smaller or goes which could take a few weeks you know we could take this new drug and then you can tell bingo it's working <laughs> no that's yeah. really tricky that that would have been uh, that would be amazing and <laughs> under a, in an ideal world um no so uh, what we do usually in the lab is testing in vitro, which, mean, which means I'm testing it uh, on living cells or on uh, um, cells that are outside um, an organism, right? So cells, naturally, we try to imitate as much as possible the normal um, tumor environment. So as to, so basically we have a mini model where we can test the drugs on. We, we can't go directly to um, a human being for obvious reasons. So we go yeah. usually from cells and then to animals, and then we go move forward to clinical trials, which is on humans. So when you test um, drugs on cells, you can, no matter how intricate you are with trying to imitate a tumor, you can never imitate the complexity of a full organism. Um, okay. So naturally, yeah. if the, yeah, sorry. <laughs> I, I, you, I think your boss wants to add something, Sarah. Yeah, yeah I, I think, you know, just to explain this, or to summarize all this, you know, Sarah is designing a test to yeah. see whether our drugs acts on the cell and does what it blocks, what it should be blocking. Whether it works in the patient, that's maybe, you know, that's another yeah, matter. Right. But it's actually quite important to know that what you think you're doing with your drugs is actually happening. So we need a readout. We need a test. People do yeah. clinical tests all the time. You know, if you take something for your cholesterol, well, you're going to have a blood test and then you're going to check whether your cholesterol is down. So it's something similar in a way, you know, to a readout. And I, and I uh, suppose the other big question is if you, you, you've developed a drug which stops some communication, which might be make, this, make the tumor cells grow or whatever, 
perhaps you're stopping some other communication which yeah. you might kind of need exactly that's part of why we tested first the thing is it's hard to translate uh, what we see in cells and expect this to be exactly how it's working in a in a human uh, yeah. being so that is where the tricky part goes so yes even if uh, there, there are plenty of drugs that do work on cells, but then yeah, in, a, in a normal, in a full complex um, environment, they don't, because as you said, they can interfere with other signaling. We don't know how much they interact with the rest of the environment. So that's part of the research. Sure. No, very, very important. Yeah. Um, okay. Um, we're going to hear shortly uh, from the next PhD student, but I can see that both the patients we have are, are keen to chip in. So, J Jackie, you you were waving your hand a moment ago. So please do um, do Sarah, add something. Sarah, thank you, Sarah. It sounded almost as though you were explaining the concept behind the development of Herceptin, which where the signalling occurs yeah. not only in the breast but also in the heart, and this mm -hmm. is why it damages the heart. It, would that be yeah. correct? Um. Almost. Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, in a, in a, put in a very simple, I'm always trying That's to simplify it as much as what Herceptin is then, Sarah, in your answer. Okay. Um, oh, okay. I don't know how to explain it in a very simple um, uh, words. I, I Actually, I think Colm would be better at this since he's, he has more of a clinical background than me. Um, I, I'm going to leave it yeah. to him to simplify yeah, that's fine. it. Then, no worries. Sense. All right. So th this is the other PhD student we haven't heard yeah. from yet, and we're, we're yeah. gonna, you're going to explain your project. But first of all, you just I'll start with Herceptin. No worries. So um, basically, I mean, as everyone's spoken about so far, um, our cells need to communicate with each other, and often um, cells can express different protein markers on their surface, and that's how they can receive or send signals, basically. Um, and what Herceptin is, it's, it's called an antibody. You may have heard about antibodies in the context of COVID and vaccinations, but um, it's not just in immunity. You can actually use an antibody to block and grab onto proteins in the body. So what Herceptin is, it was made for was to be an antibody that binds to a protein on certain cancer cells. And the classic example here was breast cancer. So um, it binds to this protein on breast cancer cells. And it's thought that that antibody binding helps to block some of these signaling processes. But as Jackie also mentioned, the problem is that, uh, that all of us face is that often these proteins are expressed all across the body. Um, so actually Herceptin sometimes, um, in some of the patients that it's treated with, um, combined to uh, cells on the heart. So sometimes you have to be very careful monitoring these patients that although you're treating their cancer, you're also not actually hurting their heart. So it's, it's a balance between treating the cancer, treating the healthy cells and not obviously causing the patient more harm. Okay, does that go some way towards uh, answering your question, Jackie, do you think? Certainly does. And uh, I was very aware of, and uh, it's a good explanation for patients. Thank you. Good. All right. Now, um, um, yeah. Can yeah, I go ask, ahead, Dave? Next patient. Yep. But um, you mentioned whether whether or not it works in a patient is a, is, a, is another matter. Why is that? Well, <clears throat> you know, we start with simple models in the lab cells that we have taken from a cancer patient and grow them. But you know, as Chris explained these cancer cells are not living on their own yeah. so we need to look at the whole organism and you know um you know my lab uses animals mice to understand that to move from a cell to a mouse to and uh, to an organism and what we have actually done 
rather than sort of making medicines to start with, we have sort of been tinkering with these genes. Yep. First making, before making a drug, we try to inactivate the gene in the same way that the drug would do. And then we look in a mouse that doesn't have the cancer, what's happening? And you know, one of the mice we actually made developed colitis, so inflammation of the guts. Then it turned out 10 years later, if you use this drug in patients, the key side effect was not only on the was a colon inflammation. So we tried to go from cells to organisms, and mice in our uh, case, to the patient. And you know, our work has actually been quite successful in predicting some what they call on-target side effects. So basically, yeah. something that really hits the target that you're interested in. But what are the side effects? So studying that in an organism that does not have cancer is one way of trying to find out what the vulnerabilities, side effects would be. A patient I, I agree would, with that. Sorry. Sorry, especially. if I can say, a patient would be uh, very well prepared, uh, much better prepared for treatment yeah. if, they can, if you can provide them with an anticipation of possible side effects. Yes. And, you know, I, I would like to express uh, in a way of frustration here that some of this science that we published in top journals, when it then goes into development, that the pharma industry has not paid sufficiently attention to this and some things have gone wrong. And I knew as a scientist that this was going to happen. But I'm a basic scientist. I'm not a doctor. So my voice is not necessarily heard. And, you know, the side effect of this drug is, you know, diarrhea you know you, you know it, and, and very serious so th this can be overcome so if you know in advance why not so i think this integration of basic science drug development clinical work patients you know i think this is so important and we, today we have an example of this so is that is that sounds like something that uh, you think that's kind of lacking a little bit i think it is it is and so what is happening now that you know people like chris or myself you know your reputation grows a little bit and then slowly but surely, you know, you sort of become like into this clinical world as a, as a non-medic in this, you know, commercial world of drug development. And, you know, your voice starts to be heard more. But it takes a while. Sure. Okay. Well, maybe we need some uh, plenty of people that are studying medicine and also doing a PhD. That's a crafty way of me <laughs> pulling, it, pulling in Callum. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. All right, Callum. Give us an outline of your PhD. Sure. So as Chris mentioned earlier, um, he mentioned the concept of the immune system in cancer. So as many people may not actually be aware um, of, of Well, actually, we always know that the immune system is involved in fighting bacteria and viruses. And we've heard a lot about vaccinations of the COVID-19 pandemic. But actually, one of the major roles of your immune system is actually fighting cancer. So a big part of my PhD is... Um, trying to sort of exploit certain types of the immune system um, and make them better at fighting cancer. And I do this by sort of genetically modifying them to help them do that process um, in the co context of colorectal cancer. But simultaneously, I'm also trying to understand how the immune system talks to the cancer cell, because that's a big part of how the immune system can kill cancer cells. Um, so that fits in a Chris's lab and the technology that they're trying to develop there. Okay, beautifully put. So um, effectively, are you trying to supercharge, actually sometimes these sort of phrases uh, upset me because we've heard lots of odd phrases, certainly during COVID. Yeah. <laughs> so let's not use supercharge. 
mm-hmm. um, what, what should we use? Just make the immune system a bit more active when it sees cancer yeah. cells. Yeah, because the thing is what you, what you can do with the immune system. So, I mean, there are hundreds of different types of cells that make up the immune system, but some of them are built to fight cancer. Like that's their actual job in your body. Um, so you can either try and make them better at doing that job where they may be failing in a cancer patient. Or what you can do is you can take another type of the immune cell, which isn't really designed to fight cancer. But you can try and make them also fight cancer. You're sort of making different soldiers for that sort of fight, if that makes sense. But mainly what I'm doing is taking a, a T cell, it's called, it's called a gamma delta T cell, which normally can kill cancer on their own. But I'm just trying to make them a lot better at doing that. So you could say supercharged if you want to. That, that's a good way of putting it, actually. Yeah. OK. Can, can you describe uh, in a way that, I, I might understand how you're changing those T cells. What 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 are you actually doing to them? Yeah, so um, basically uh, one of the ways that your immune system talks to each other and helps develop um, is they release lots of different signaling proteins like we've spoken about. And some of those are called cytokines or interleukins. They've got different names. And basically um, what I'm doing is I use special types of viruses. Um, I make different viruses that can basically genetically modify these T cells. Um, and I can tell the T cells to make more of these proteins. So I use one called IL-15. And that basically tells this T cell to be very sort of happy and proliferative, and it helps it fight the cancer better. Because one of the big, big, big problems we have is that you in your tumor in the body you've got loads and loads of immune cells in there that want to fight the cancer but basically your tumor is telling them and communicating with them saying no 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 we don't want you anywhere near us and you can tell them to go away and you can actually make your own immune immune system work against you so hopefully this engineering strategy that i'm doing so changing the t-cells can help overcome some of that problem fantastic so could that potentially lead to a, a, a vaccine against this sort of cancer Potentially. So, I mean, um, so in my area, it's not sort of vaccine based, but I mean, vaccine based treatments for cancer have been tested and have been developed for quite a few decades now. There's there's so many different strategies for overcoming the immune system just because it's such a complicated system. But mine is specifically about trying to change certain anti anti cancer T cells to help fight a patient's cancer. Goodness. All right. Now, let's if I may, let's bring back in um, the, the, the lab heads. Um, Bart and Chris, and talk about some of the time scales of this. Now, you, you know, you, you, you've both, well, Bart, you've been running a lab for, you know, many years. Chris, possibly slightly fewer years. You look a bit younger. I don't know how old you are, Chris. But <laughs> just, just mention some of the time scales we're, we're looking at here. Because, you know, we're, you know the, the research that Sarah and Callum are doing, it doesn't mean there's going to be a drug next week at all, does it? Just give us an idea of kind of the enormity and the the, the, time, the length involved and also what the, the process is. Sure, I mean, oh, yeah, Chris, Bart, Chris, go ahead. Go better, Chris. No, Bart, I think you're probably better qualified to sort of talk about the, the full process, but I can say just briefly, you know, just uh, all of these, every single failed drug, and there are a lot of failed drugs, was once a good idea at some point. Um, it was somebody thought, okay, this could work. And so we're kind of in the lab trying these ideas, seeing what works at these sort of lower systems. But then it has to go through this process of, you know, going to an animal model, going into, you know, um, non-human primates, for example, phase one clinical trials, phase two. Most drugs fail. There's an enormous pile of drugs that were once a good idea that, that now don't work. So it's an incredibly long and um and expensive process actually it's incredibly expensive to get a drug to clinic. Um, and Bart would know more about this than me, but it, it is is 
it's not like we can just come up with an idea and then a year later we're testing it in patients. There's an enormous journey that costs a lot, you know, a lot of time, money, and people to to get it there, which is which is frustrating. But it has to be there for safety reasons as well. We can't just throw, you know, a, 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 you can't just go down the pub and have an idea with your friend and then start putting it in a human next week. You know, it, it, there's a, there has to be a lot of checks and balances there. But I'm sure Bart can speak to the process in, in more detail. Yes, you know, and I think that I would like to answer in two ways. First, how in uh, this process of an approved drug, how it has worked so far and how I would like to change it. So the first thing, you know, I arrived in this country 29 years ago and I discovered something that I thought was interesting. One of these critical notes, I thought, you know, I'm going to follow this. So that's 29 years. It took 25 years until this became an approved drug. And so what it is, you have a gene, you do basic research in cells. Then we made a mouse with this gene inactivated. We published some really good papers. You know, that's the equivalent of an Olympic gold medal. You publish in Nature, Science, you know, it's sort of, we, we got onto BBC websites, you know, it gets uh, promoted. Pharma, biotech starts to be interested. Small molecule drugs are starting to be made. We work with those people. I was involved in a spin-out company myself. That was then, you know, goes from small company to a big company. And, you know, this ended up in, Companies like Gilead, Genetech, Roche, the big pharma, who have taken it through the clinic and it became an approved drug. So it's 25 years. It's too long. Mm -hmm. But, you know, science has also evolved over time. So now we can do things quicker. If I may, Mike, what, what we're doing Please do. now. So rather than doing all these sort of genetic tricks to start with, you know, I have been working with pharma to try to make drugs straight away to test my ideas rather than doing all this complicated intermediate step. And so what's happening now that we have something interesting, we think. And, you know, again, we try to publish a good paper. So hopefully it will work. And, you know, you get a lot of attention. We then already have this starting molecules to make a drug. So we save 10 years of time. You know, so, I'm a bit so older, I and I, I don't have 25 years anymore to do it. How are you saving the time? Is this through different techniques in the laboratory? Yes, um, and by making drugs straight away to test my ideas. You can do that now, okay. rather than doing all the genetic tricks. But okay. it's a risk. It's a risk. But so, it's a time-saving exercise. Okay. Can you, can you outline some of the uh, techniques? that Because, I, you know, yes, public, yes. that's me. We've heard a lot. Ooh. They're all they're using AI. They're using artificial I know, intelligence I know. to come up with new new drugs and ideas. Is is, is that part of the process? Uh, it is. It's part of it. But you know, in in this case, I had an idea, and I approached one of the UK pharma, and they have an, what they call an open innovation project. They work with academics, and you no, know, they have a library of two million plus drug-like compounds, and I say, look, I would like to test your compounds. On my molecule, I have an idea. Can we put the two together? And, you know, through a miracle almost, you know, I found really a needle in the haystack that worked on my thing. And now, immediately, we have this protein that I want to target, the drug target, and I have the drug. But, it's, you know, it's going to be quicker. And, you well, know, you know what, what happened is that they said, Bart, this is not going to work. So, in fact, I worked with them in the past and they said, you know, we used to work with you, you know, quite well and so on. And we enjoyed working with you. We're going to work with you to prove you wrong. I said, well, that's a good deal. So, and that's how academics work with industry and so on, with CRUK. And now I'm actually taking this further with Cancer Research UK 
to actually you know develop this further so we can save time very nice okay let's explore that a little bit more so bart and chris you're both leading a number of researchers and presumably there's many different ways you can take your work your research uh, you know you can ask your students to investigate this or investigate that inevitably some of these things have to be done on a bit of a hunch that was more of a question than a statement guys you know how do you really decide what you're gonna work on do you get a good feeling about something or do you you know have a good chat down the pub with your colleagues give us a bit more about the thought process Chris? Yeah. Um, well, I mean, yeah, where do ideas come from? I don't know. That's, that's a different podcast, I think. That's more in, in philosophy. Um, but yeah, I mean, you, you you obviously read papers, you go to conferences, you talk to people, and eventually, you know, I think you kind of get a, you get a, a sense for what, you know, what might be, might be feasible. And obviously, you're always trying to do something new. I mean, you know, there's a, say it's a busy podcast, there's six of us, there's, you know, there's that, you know, that tens of thousands of people working on cancer research all around the world in pharma companies. And, and, you know, there's, there's a lot of people out there with a lot of ideas. Um, so coming up with something novel and creative is often the challenging bit. You know, there's always somebody else doing. If it's a good idea, there's probably other people working on it. So what I mean, what we try to do in my lab is come up with new technology. So we do, do half, sort of maybe fifty percent technology development, and that what that allows us to do is to then answer new questions that other people can't do. Because if we, if we've got a if we've got a platform where we can do something that you know the pharma companies can't do it, they have to come to us to collaborate. You know, we're a tiny little lab of ten people, but the big you know. AstraZeneca will be knocking on our door asking for us to help them, you know. So by, so by developing new technologies, we can answer new questions. And that's what Callum's really been doing is using the new technologies we've been developing to study how these cells communicate and interact. And that to me really is the value of academic science as well. We have that flexibility and creativity to, to sort of really try new things. Um, but obviously, you know, if it, if it continues to not work, then, you know, you try something else um, as long as your funding permits. Um, but yeah, I mean, at the moment, I'm, I'm relatively junior in this, so yeah, I, I, maybe I haven't had time to fail properly yet. Um, but we're trying our best. Let, let me bring in Bart. Uh, when we were talking yesterday, Bart, in, in preparation for this, you were you were talking about um, exploding tumors. You know, is that just one of these kind of crazy ideas you had in the shower one day, or you know, how how how's that work? Well, you know, I, I think Chris. Um, mentioned failures often when things are not working you know you think why is that so you know this was an idea born out of a failure we have been trying for probably 20 plus years to take cells and to put one of this cancer causing genes in them and they don't like it and i said look you know what this is actually rather than blocking this gene why do not why not try to activate it and make a molecule that activates this this protein rather than blocking it. And so, you know, that's the idea I put to pharma. And they said, you know, you've gone crazy. And it I said, sounds like a dangerous game. A dangerous <laughs> game. But, you know, if a cancer cell is a balloon full of air, you know, you have two options to, to, to kill this balloon. You know, what we have been trying to do so far is to squeeze the air out of the balloon. It goes a bit floppy. But, you know, when the time is right, the air comes back and the balloon is back. And that's what's happening in cancer. So you tell me, if I now put 10% more air in this balloon, what's going to happen? It pops Bang. and it's not going to come back. You will not blow up your balloon anymore. So that's what we have now made. Molecules that activate the cancer, supercharge it, if you want to use this word, it's too much of a good thing. 
So, Mike, you, do you like a pint of beer? I do, actually. Okay. If you drink your first, it's not a problem. Okay. One pint is not a problem. But if that, you have yeah. drunken already five, the sixth one might kill you, might make you very drunk. A cancer cell is always on five pints. And I just give it an extra one and it just gets drunk. <laughs> Fantastic. So is, is this an idea that you have pursued? You know, have, have you got other PhD students working on this or, or is, perhaps Sarah is working on this? Um, Let's bring in Sarah. What, what, are you, what are you doing? So your boss has this crazy idea. Yes. And then it's so. down to you to try and... Um, Make sense of this crazy idea. Yeah, what do you do yes. next? It's down to me not to make the idea. In my case, I'm making what, what I'm going to test the idea on. So basically, Bart is doing his crazy idea of developing something that might make the tumor burst. And my role is to find uh, something to test it on, uh, a model to have uh, to test it on. Because it's actually not easy at all to know um, how to how to test if the thing we think, the thing we've created is doing the thing we created it for, right? Sure. So it might do something. And actually sometimes that's, that's, that's the case in a lot of, in drug development in general. Some drugs do the job that we, so cure this um, headache that we're having or this other symptom that we're suffering from. But sometimes we don't even know how it's doing so. So actually sometimes studying the, path or the way the drug is working is a bit harder than maybe doing the drug itself so so yeah so my role is more on the understanding how um how bart's ideas would uh, work sarah this is going to be a horrible question but no. can you explain to me a layman how on <laughs> earth you do that mm, so for okay so for instance we have like the normal uh, cells and we more or less understand how these normal cells are working so if you want to target one crucial point or one point that we think is crucial for the cells, um, and so, for example, Bart chooses this point that the cell depends on and, and develops um, a, um, a drug that should target this point. So my role is to create cells that lack, for example, this um, gene. Let's say it's a gene that we're talking about. So if, the, if normally um, it, the cell needs this gene to function properly, and if just we notice that this gene is mutated or different, uh, works in like aberrant in, in cancer cells. So we try to make uh, artificially make cells that lack this gene or have more of this gene. Or so we play a little bit with with these um, um, conditions mm -hmm. to try to create cell models that would help us test our hypothesis on. Um, Hopefully, I, I I put it in simpler words. <laughs> no, I think so. I think I think you you you, you said that very nicely. Thank you. So, <laughs> I mean, the, the the picture I'm getting is that, you know, this is not straightforward. This is complicated stuff. It takes mm -hmm. teams of people years to do, and you know you have to be dedicated. And you and maybe let's throw in maybe you need a bit of luck along 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 the way. Um, I think a lot of observation um, skills as well, because it's more about um, noticing the tiny little differences between uh, how this cell is functioning versus how this other cell is functioning and what um, effects uh, we can notice from adding this or removing this from, from um, an environment, for example. Good, yeah. All right. Mm. At, at this point, oh, Bart, go ahead. You got something to say. 
Yeah, you know, Chris mentioned ground. So, you know, I, I think sometimes when you have a wacky idea or a crazy idea, you know, you need money to research that. And I think that has been my greatest frustration, that some of the more, let's say, non-traditional ideas often find it difficult to get to ground committees. And, you know, people are a bit conservative. And, you know, I have to say that, you know, uh, I don't want to promote certain organizations more than others. But in my case, Cancer Research UK has been very supportive of, you know, keeping an open mind. And so the challenge is, Mike, even if you have ideas or things aren't working, you know, to find monies to pursue that idea. And that is often a bit the key challenge, I find. Yeah, that's, prob that's probably a whole another yes. talk, a whole other podcast. Now, I've been talking to the scientists. I want to bring in the, the patient's. Uh, I've got some specific questions for the patients, but I can see Jackie has got something to say. Yes, I have something to say to Bart about these um, novel ideas and new ways of working. Do you use PPI to help push your ideas and ask for these uh, for these things for these ideas to be and research to be funded? You know, this is an interesting. I'm being um, asked to join an, um, a workshop for cancer grant challenges. And you know, one of the ideas I would like to involve patients to get this through. Um, but yeah. through the, through, you know, uh, I, I think if patients are on board then I think that makes a big difference, but I have not so far. Um, okay. I have to maybe you, you can have a chat, a chat yeah. afterwards. What, yeah, what, I would I'd, love like, to. what I'd yeah. like to ask uh, the, the, the patients really is that having more knowledge about cancer and kind of you know, the, the disease that you suffered from, does, does that, do you feel that helps you? It, or, you know, do, does it make your, your life easier or harder? Tell me, Dave. It, it, it helps to understand what we've been through and how it happened. And it helps me when I'm supporting other patients in my support groups by under, letting them, helping them understand what's going on, how it's working. But there's still so many unanswered questions in research especially as Bob mentioned earlier <clears throat> sorry long-term effects that's a that's a that's a point for another discussion at some time we don't so many people are surviving cancer now we just don't know what the long-term effects are what's it going to do on the national health service how we're going to cope with it that's that is another question that, that's another podcast at some stage but it, it's it's understanding why can't if we're if we're using immunotherapy as a treatment making it more active to fight that cancer, why can't we make it more active right at the start so we don't get cancer? Oh, good it, idea, yes. It's, it's, like one it. of those, it's one of those things, you know, everybody's looking at the treatment of cancer, we're not looking at how to prevent it. We can't prevent it at the moment. So it's, it's another question. It is, yeah. it is. How can we boost those uh, T delta gamma cells, is it, that was mentioned in one of these websites before anything goes awry? Yeah. All right. Well, the, the <laughs> cancer <laughs> prevention, a whole other podcast. Um, mm -hmm. We're getting towards the end now. So if, if, if people are listening to this, may, maybe, you know, they have cancer or they have a loved one that has cancer and they want to know more about it. Now, I've occasionally tried to read some scientific papers. Now, I'm not a scientist. Um, I find them very hard going. Right. Is there any advice? general advice if if people want to learn a bit more about cancer either the cancer they've got um or you know someone in their family has and that they're not a scientist but they want to find out more 
how can they sensibly do that? Any good sources? Well, it, to be honest, I, I took part in a, a, an American uh, study which demanded uh, PPI and uh, ICPV, Independent Cancer Patient Voice, uh, provided it. And I, I was somewhat apprehensive because it was bench science. But it was explained to me in terms of that I could understand by breaking down a complex topic into simple steps and the use of yep. diagrams and a short training session on how they achieved the cell manipulation they wanted. And it is a fascinating science. It's possibly not for everybody, but uh, these things can be explained quite easily, I think. Yeah, uh, that, that thing you just mentioned, is, is there a resource available on, on the internet? You know, where, where can people go? That's, wow. a, big, that's a big problem uh, with the internet. What we do need is the hospitals and consultants and GPs to refer people to the recommended websites and areas. Right. There's so many, if you look up esophageal cancer, you're looking at 70% people dying of this cancer. But if you go, if you, you know, that a lot of people, 70% go into palliative care. It doesn't mean they're going to die straight away. It's, it's making sure we look and we point the people in the right direction to the right websites. And we get those websites out there. Cancer research is good. There's a couple of charities in the UK, which is good for this kind of cancer or any, but we need to make sure we got the right information out there. We don't scare people too much. Right, I can imagine there's an awful lot of misinformation out yes. there. It's the sort of thing that would get a lot of misinformation. Um, yeah. Okay, well, that's perhaps that's another area we could uh, pursue more in the future. It's like that, that there have been certainly um, lots of questions asked uh, or areas that we can chat about uh, in the future. But for now, we're going to have to uh, pull it to uh, a, a finish. So, ladies and gentlemen, look, thank you very much indeed for taking the time to chat uh, for the last 40 minutes or so. It's much appreciated. And um, I, I think this will make for interesting listening and, and potentially help a lot of people. So many thanks. UK Health Radio. The station that makes you feel good. Nagging pain. We at AlgaCells know that a small amount of the patient's own bone marrow and blood cells can treat many painful conditions with regenerative orthopaedic therapy. This is an attractive treatment option for painful joints, back pain, sports injuries and many other conditions. It may avoid the need for surgery altogether. AlgaCells, part of a network of 50 Regenex clinics worldwide where over 60,000 patients have been treated and helped. AlgaCells, life is more beautiful with less pain. A cancer diagnosis can be scary and stressful for everyone involved. Hello Love is a contemporary living space and well-being center in central London where anyone can come and learn about illness prevention and non-toxic practice. Inside, you will find a vegan restaurant, juice bar, and holistic dojo that encourage lifestyle changes to help heal mind, body, and spirit connection. Cancer patients are offered free sessions. To find out more, please visit us at hellolove.org. UK Health Radio, the station that makes you feel good. Very many thanks to all six guests on the show this week talking about cancer research. A big thank you to you for listening and a special thanks to the show's sponsor, 
algal cells who bring regenerative orthopedic medicine to the UK. See their website, algacells.com. If you or a loved one are in pain, do have a look. That was the Relax Back UK show with me, Mike Dill. Thank you for listening and please do join us again next time.